Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Lin Lee, and welcome to Morning Shot. Decarbonisation has become one of the hottest buzzwords for many industries in recent years. That was featured front and centre in conversations at the Singapore Maritime Week, where major consortiums and companies in the shipping industry discussed solutions. This comes as the sector gears up for a transition to greener options in areas such as fuel and supply chains. But what kind of opportunities does such a move present to the shipping sector? To put it all into perspective, we have on the line Dr. Imran Halimi, Program Director at the Maritime Energy and Sustainable Development Centre of Excellence. Hi, Dr. Imran. Good morning. Hi, morning, Lindley. Also joining us today is Chris Chatterton, Chief Operating Officer of Methanol Institute, which serves as a global trade association for methanol, which is used as a safe and cost-competitive marine fuel for the commercial shipping industry. Good morning, Chris. Uh, good morning, Lindley. Dr. Imran, let's start with you. Shipping accounts for more than 3% of global carbon emissions, but it's regarded as one of the hardest sectors to decarbonize because ships often run on heavy, dirty, high-carbon fuel oil. How pressing is the challenge for the sector to decarbonize at this point? So if you believe that climate change is really an existential problem, um, then the challenge is indeed pressing. Well, not just for shipping, but for all sectors. Shipping is hard to abate because of its reliance to fossil fuels. Hence, the industries, from storage to distribution to economics and financing, are optimised to support the operations and structure. Whilst there are means to decarbonise shipping, I think more and more now the conversation has led towards understanding the problem from a supply chain or value chain perspective. So this is why MESD, or the Maritime Energy Sustainable Development, was set up. Uh, The research that we do typically involves the various actors in the maritime space and looks at the themes of alternative energy, emission management and sustainable operations. Chris, the shipping industry's energy transition is picking up speed and keeping that in mind, would you see methanol as a short or longer term solution for the shipping industry? Well, in fact, methanol has been involved in the fuel markets for some time, uh, really decades. So uh, there's quite a considerable reference that's been built up over that time frame for internal combustion engines, uh, industrial boilers, fuel cells, as well as uh, even more recently uh, cooking stoves, if you would believe it or not, in places where it's harder to bring in uh, any type of gas, uh, this last mile delivery. So uh, as a liquid at ambient temperature, it's easy to, to bring on site uh, alongside uh, any particular application. And that's one of the main reasons why it's being considered as, a, as one of the possible solutions, longer term solutions uh, in the marine space. Chris, I understand you took part in a panel covering fuel options at the Singapore Maritime Week. When it comes to low and zero carbon fuel engine technologies, what are some of the exciting developments that were brought up and how significant are they in pushing the industry forward? Yeah, in fact, um, I've only been in the maritime space for about eight years, but I can say that this was, I've taken part in quite a number of different events globally, and I can say this one was clearly the the best uh, event that I've been to. And um, I think my main takeaway from from, uh, Singapore Maritime Week, which has uh, today left in it, uh, was that uh, really the, the, the market is ready to to embrace decarbonization and people are lining up to really collaborate. So that's, a, I think, a significant 
change in the, in the mindset, which is perhaps most important to get over. So that was my main take. And uh, in, in fact, I could quote uh, the COO of, of ABS uh, on one of the panels who said decarbonization is not just part of the plan, it is the plan. So um, with that in mind, uh, yeah, technically, I think we're, we've made a lot of progress over the past seven, eight years uh, as far as uh, engines are concerned. The, the fuel supply systems and delivery storage uh, are all lining up uh, very nicely. And um, we're now focusing on last mile delivery and uh, taking these new fuels on board. Uh, in many cases, LNG, methanol, biofuel, ammonia is coming. So we're really uh, at a point now where we need to develop the remaining gaps, so to speak, to make it uh, affordable and available in, in that sense uh, for both producers and, and for the, uh, the consumers, the, the shippers themselves. Yeah, we, we, we've uh, made considerable ground and uh, there's more to come. And I think the more to come piece is, is more focused on policy at this stage. So we really need a balanced and effective global as well as local regional policy to uh, further support the private initiative. Speaking of which, Dr. Imran, let's bring you back into the conversation. How do you see market structures and pricing playing a part in incentivizing the adoption of low and zero carbon fuels? Well, definitely pricing is very important. Um, funding will be needed you know, to offset the initial cost of the capex or the capital expenditure when it comes to adopting uh, this alternative energy. Um, ultimately, though, the ship owners would have to do calculations to ascertain whether it makes business sense for them to, to adopt a particular technology. I think beyond economics, safety is definitely another priority for each fuel type. While there are already preceding guidance for handling and storage uh, when it's used as fuels, so these references and or standards will require modification or even an overhaul. So studies have to be conducted to contribute to this uh, development of the standards. Now, what does the future maritime energy mix look like, Chris? And how different should uh, fuel standards and safety regulations be for greener fuel options? We're definitely moving towards a multi-fuel environment, similar to what you would find at, at any four courts if you were to, to refuel your, your automobile. So we're, we're moving away from fuel oil, basically, which, is, which has been the, the go-to for the past 50, 60 years, uh, into really performance chemicals such as methanol, ammonia, uh, even LNG is a, is a cryogenic fuel. So the safety and the, uh, and, and the way it's handled, as Dr. Imram referenced, uh, are very important, probably the most important aspect of it. Technically, I, I think we, we can agree that uh, we know how to use it as a fuel and um, all these fuels can bring substantial benefits for, for, the, for the overall effort to decarbonize the, the sector. But um, handling them is, is going to be completely different. Uh, these are low flashpoint fuels, uh, so they tend to be either a bit more volatile than fuel oil in a simplistic uh, explanation. So they, they, they can be explosive, they can be highly flammable, uh, in some cases they can be toxic. So uh, there are many more considerations to take into account. And um, we're putting a, a lot of effort into that uh, at the moment as we uh, prepare to begin uh, bunkering some of these fuels already in, in Singapore, such as methanol. 
Dr. Imran, let's talk about Singapore in this space here. We've just inked an agreement with the Port of Los Angeles and Port of Long Beach to establish a green and digital shipping corridor between Singapore and the San Pedro Bay Port Complex. Will such a corridor have any bearings on a network of supply and infrastructure for fuel storage and distribution? Well, in short, yes. Uh, the corridor aims to support you know, the transition to low emission fuels in shipping ports in Singapore, LA and Long Beach. So the parties will work to facilitate the supply and ad- adoption of these fuels and explore necessary infrastructure and regulations for bunkering. Uh, they will also identify digital solutions and develop standards for green ports and alternative fuels and share experiences at the international platforms such as IMO. I think at this stage, we are still in the process of defining the perimeters of the corridor uh, beyond stating the locations. I think if we are true to the term, we have to ensure how the fuels are sourced and processed are also green. You know, for ammonia and methanol, for example, this would mean that the synthesis of the fuels should only be done via renewable means. Uh, specifically for methanol, though, the element of carbon capture will still be needed you know, to be included in the chain because burning methanol would ultimately also produce carbon dioxide. You've mentioned a couple of those there, but what are some others on the ground challenges that you foresee when it comes to putting this green corridor in motion? So depending on the fuel type, um, the, the vessels are still not ready. I think for, for methanol, there, there's already a healthy order book of uh, vessels uh, capable of burning dual fuel LNG and methanol as fuel. Um, terminals for offloading methanols are also ready. Uh, for ammonia, uh, whilst there are already terminals there, engine capable of using ammonia as fuels are still in development. So regulations have to be set in place first, Technology also have to be ready before this green corridor is set in motion. All right, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time. We've been speaking with Dr. Imran Halimi, Program Director at the Maritime Energy and Sustainable Development Centre of Excellence, and Chris Chatterton, Chief Operating Officer of Methanol Institute. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.